Good morning. I'm so excited to be up here, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to put on my glasses so I can see my notes. And the only thing I don't like about reading glasses is then you can't see everybody, but I'm kind of glad because in case I'm scared, I don't want to see what your face looks like. (laughs) So... uh, (laughs) For those of you who are guests or new, don't know, my name is Tracy McCann, and I am Pastor Bubba's wife, and proud to be that, very honored to be that. And um, so, yes, (laughs) the thing he didn't share, he did share that we've been married 30 years, but we also have six children. So yes, he did give me six beautiful children. And as a mother, how many of you know you love to share about your children? So I'm going to just share a little bit. How many want to hear a little bit about my children? All right. So we have six children. Our oldest son, Zachary, will be 29 next month. And when he turns 30 next year, I'm just going to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, I can't believe that. But he'll be 29 next month. And him and his wife pastor our Crowley Church, him and Claire. And they have four beautiful children. And another one is due in August. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Very proud of them. Zach is a good and a faithful son. And we're very, very proud of him. And our second son is actually here this morning, Andrew. And he is 27. Him and his beautiful wife have an adorable little girl, Avery. She's 10 and a half months. And they live here in town. He works at Sassaw and Lake Charles. And he's done some mission works and really just has a heart for mission. He's a gatherer. He loves to reach people. And we're just so proud of him. And then our third son, Matt, will be 25 next month. And him and his wife, Rachel, live in Nashville, Tennessee, He is an EMT, and in August we'll be starting paramedic school, and his wife is a fabulous hairdresser, cuts hair great, and they live there and love it, part of a great church and a home group there, and um, Matt loves to work hard and make lots of money, and uh, so uh, they're doing a great job. And then we also, our fourth son, Nathan, is here with us, right here, woo and uh, we're just, we love Nathan. I remember when Nathan was a little boy, he, was, he would talk to anybody, tell everybody hi. And I know now that that's because his gift was with people. He has a real compassion for people and uh, really feels what they feel, which is a real prophetic gift. And I know God's going to use him mightily, whether he goes into full-time ministry or a job somewhere. God has a great purpose for him and just so proud of what God's doing in him. And then our fifth son, Luke, is actually turns 12 tomorrow. And those of you who have been here for at least 12 years, who has been here for at least 12 years? You might know the story. We were still having church in that front building, and I was in labor with Luke McCann. Uh, having contractions five minutes apart. And I was like, well, what can I do? My husband has to preach. And uh, then afterwards, some, some fr- it was Mother's Day. And so we always celebrate Luke's birthday and Mother's Day on the same day. And some friends say, let's go to lunch. And my husband was like, no, let's go to the hospital. And I was like, I'm hungry. When I get to the hospital, they're not going to feed me. <laughs> so we went to the Chinese restaurant, which is now La Rumba. And we, I ate up my food. And then I stood up to go get my dessert and my water broke. <laughs> so we, every Mother's Day, we laugh about that. And, but uh, Luke's a great son. He just has such a tender, tender heart, tender heart for God and for people. And um, since the time he's four years old, he said, I'm going to be a doctor. 
And so I know God has great plans for him. And then last but not least, our, if you've noticed, it's all male names. <laughs> we had our little girl, Olivia, and she is 10 years old. And she is the apple of her daddy's eye and the joy of my heart. And it's so funny because Olivia's personality is like her daddy's and Luke is like mine. And we're like, how did that happen? <laughs> so you know how to love her and I know how to love him. But um, she's a joy. She has such a beautiful spirit. She loves to give gifts. She's so kind. Um, she's just a great giver and a great worshiper. So those are our children. So as you know, yes, I'm a mother and happy Mother's Day to me. <laughs> And But like Lindsay shared so, so beautifully that every woman in here is really a mother, has a mother's heart, you know, when we all mother somebody. And um, I can remember being pregnant with my first child, Zach, and just being so excited. You know, the first one, that, none can care, compare with that. Sorry, Nathan. Sorry, Andrew. But the first one just, you know, because everything is new. You've never felt a baby move inside of you. You've never just thought about the phenomena of giving birth, a human being living inside of you. And I just remember feeling so satisfied and so fulfilled, like this is what I was meant to do and just so fulfilled. But when that baby came out, I wasn't so satisfied anymore. I was sleep deprived. I was aggravated. I was frustrated. And you know how we just sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? For the first time in my life, I saw how much of a wretch I was. (laughs) I always thought I was a pretty good person, but children will do something to you and make you realize how much of a wretch you are and how much you need Jesus. That is for sure. (laughs) And as mothers, nobody tells us about... How sleep deprived, how much work, how difficult it is making decisions and feeding and diapering and cleaning up, throw up and poo poo and all the things that go with it. Nobody tells us, or they might try to tell us, but you cannot comprehend it until it actually happens to you. But out of all, even though I love being a mother, in spite of all those things, I think one of my greatest aggravations of being a mother was these two words. How many of you moms have dealt with sibling rivalry? Raise your hands if you've ever dealt. How many, maybe you haven't dealt with your kids, but you remember growing up with your brothers and sisters and there was sibling rivalry. I cannot stand sibling rivalry. And as I began to think about where and why do we have that, the Lord really began to show me and put this message upon my heart a while back. And I really believe it comes from the root of jealousy, the root of jealousy. And while raising our children, there's many difficulties, but sibling rivalry definitely tops it. I can remember when our boys were all little. How many of you are old enough to remember when Tupperware would make the cups and they had the little white lids, they had the green one, the yellow one, the blue one, and the red one. Anybody used to have those Tupperware cups? I think I still have a couple of mine, but the rest of them are probably trash. But my boys would fight over those cups. And for some reason, I guess being boys, they all wanted the blue one. And so you would pour the drink and he had the blue one last time. It's not fair. You know, I wanted to have the blue one. And, you know, it's just like, what is the deal with the blue cup? Does it really matter? (laughs) And... Then you have the times, you know, where uh, you walk into the bathroom and there's toothpaste everywhere. Who did it? Not me. He did it. She did it. 
are, he got more cookies, and every time I get a cookie, I get the broken one, and I don't like broken cookies. (laughs) And then there's the teasing and the tricking are the child that feels less than, are less favored, are ignored, are rejected, are maybe not as smart, are not as beautiful or handsome as the other one. And the list can go on and on, right? The things. And actually, we can get a lot of wounds from our childhood, from this sibling rivalry. And the thing is, it's not a new, it's not a new phenomena, this jealousy between the siblings. We can go back, and I found the first story of jealousy and rivalry in the book of Genesis. We aren't even to the end of Genesis yet. Chapter 4. And you see the example of Cain and Abel. And how Cain was a tiller of the ground. He grew vegetables. And Abel was a keeper of the flock. And if you read commentaries and theologians will tell you that from the beginning of time after man fell... God himself began to teach about the blood covenant and the sacrifice with animals so that one day we would know that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. And so one day, these brothers both brought an offering, and Cain brought his vegetables, and it doesn't say it was his first fruits, and Abel brought his first golden lamb the blood sacrifice. And so God did not accept Cain's offering because it wasn't the picture that he had given them. And so here Cain was very dejected, angry, depressed, feeling not accepted. And yet God came to him and said, Cain, why are you sad? And why are you depressed? What's up with you? Because if you do well and you do what's right and you do the things I've asked you to do, you are just as loved and accepted as your brother Abel. But he refused to listen to that. And so he went out and he began to stew and he began to burn. And the Bible says that one day he said to his brother Abel, hey, let's go out in the field. And I'm sure Abel was just thinking, hey, we're going to shoot slingshots. We're going to hunting or whatever. And Cain killed him. He allowed the rivalry, the burn, the anger, the bitterness in his heart that he somehow felt less than jealous, less than his brother. And then you go on, you get to uh, chapter 27 in Genesis, and then we have uh, uh, Jacob and Esau, and how there was rivalry between them, and Jacob was a liar and deceiver, and Esau, mama was... Jacob was mama's favorite, Esau was his daddy's favorite, and then uh, Esau sold his birthright and then became bitter, and then he he went off, and the brothers didn't see each other for years. Sibling rivalry, jealousy, you know, you're a mama's baby, well, you're daddy's boy, well, you lied to me, you deceived me. And then we get to uh, chapter 29, and now it's women, Leah and Rachel, And here Leah's jealous of Rachel because she's the beautiful one. She has a beautiful face and a beautiful body. And then, but Rachel's jealous of Leah because she can bear child after child after child. And Rachel is barren at this point. No children. So she's jealous because she's a mother and she's not. And then we have Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph wasn't jealous, but his brothers were very jealous of him. And, but it's funny. I went back and read the story because I used to think, You know how it says that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son and he made him the coat of many colors and you think, well, I might be jealous of that. But I read, went back and read again and it does say that Joseph 
was Jacob's, he loved him very much. But it said, and Jacob loved him because he was the son of his old age. And I began to think about that because as anybody who knows Pastor Baba and I, our youngest two children who are 10 and 12, we were over 40 when we had those two children. And they are the son of our old age. And sometimes our older four teasingly have a little bit of jealousy because they're like, they're the favored ones. One of the boys said one time, probably when Luke gets his license, he's going to be driving a Ferrari, you know, (laughs) I'm like, whatever. But you can't help it. But the longer you've known Jesus, the more you're a healed and whole person and the more, the greater you're able to love. I am definitely raising my two children differently than my older children from no fault of my own or of my older children, but I am more of a whole person. God has done so much more in me than 29 years ago when I was pregnant with Zach. I'm a different person, so therefore, I am raising different children. But God knew what Zach needed, and God knew the purpose and destiny that Luke and Olivia have and what they would need. And so... What Jacob was doing is like this was the son of his old age. He was an old man. And finally, Rachel, the beautiful one, had a child, her first child. All these years could not have children. And so this was their first child. So the brothers did not like Joseph. And they went to throw him in a pit with the intention to kill him, just like Cain had killed Abel. But Reuben, his older brother, had mercy and like, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. Instead, they saw some travelers coming on their way to Egypt. They sold them. And if you've read the Bible, Joseph ended up saving the children of Israel from famine. And so he had a plan. But still the rivalry, you know, the, the jealousy thing that's going on. So why is it? Why is it that root of jealousy that constantly plagues all of us? Maybe not with our siblings, but with other people. I really believe it's because... It's the spirit of rejection, and the enemy so knows that because of what Jesus did for us, we are so accepted, and therefore, he wants us to feel so rejected. And so what he does is he brings in that rivalry, that jealousy, that envy to say, somehow you are not accepted, but the truth is we are so accepted. So what is jealousy? Jealousy is showing envy of someone or their achievements. And I think this is the first thing on your notes if you're taking notes. It's showing envy of someone or their achievements. And that comes when we compare ourselves to others. As you look at all these stories in Genesis, they were comparing themselves. You know, why is Joseph the favored one? Why can Leah have the babies and I can't? And we compare ourselves to one another. But Galatians 6, chapter 4 says, pay careful attention to your own work. And you know what this means? What is your own work? Your talents. What God has called you to. Who you are. What you do. Do your very best with what God has given you. And then you will have the satisfaction of work well done and won't need to compare yourself to others. You see, each one of us, God has given a purpose and talents and things that he's called us to do. But when you compare yourself, you find dissatisfaction. But when you do your very best work and do what God has called you to, you find satisfaction. 
you're satisfied. So hopefully, none of you in here still have sibling rivalry. Sad to say, I have heard of older adults still having rivalries in their 30s and 40s and 70s and 80s, you know, family rivalries. But hopefully, all of you or most of you in here are a child of God and you don't still have sibling rivalry. But my question is, are your brothers and sisters in Christ now your rivals? Are they your rivals? Are they the ones you compare yourself to? Or how about your neighbors or your co-workers? So what are some of the things we get jealous of and we compare ourselves with? What do we envy in other people? There's a few different things I'm going to give you on your notes. One of the first things that we envy are other people's skills and their talents. Man, I wish I could sing like her. Man, I wish I could get up and teach like Miss Tracy. Man, I I wish I didn't always struggle with my weight like her and had a nice body with her like her. Skills, talents, what they can do. How come I don't, I don't, I'm not good at anything. Nothing. That's a lie. The next thing we might be jealous of is wisdom and education. Man, they're just so smart. Or I don't have a college education, so I'm just going to stay in this dumb job. Just, she's smart. Or or how about, you know, hey, I've been envious of other people's kids getting straight A's because not one of my kids got straight A's. (laughs) Wisdom and education. Number three, strength and power. And this can be physical or someone's power in the community or their power at their job. You know, why did they get the manager position? I'm just as good as they are. Why do they get to have that? Or how did he get to be that or she get to be that? Their strength and their power. And number four is many times we are envious of other people's riches, their house, their car, their savings, their retirement account, their clothes, their looks. It's funny, though, I've noticed, and some of you who are over 50 like me might notice, the older you get, the houses, the cars, the different things, that's when God usually gives them to you, but you don't care about them anymore. (laughs) He's like, I am kind of wanting to go down to a smaller house that's low maintenance because I'm tired of cleaning my big house. But then the enemy will come with different things. Maybe you don't envy the house or the job or the whatever anymore, but you might envy someone who hasn't faced the trials that you have faced or had the loss that you have or the sickness or the crisis, whatever it might be. Like, you know, man, why am I always facing a suffering? But the truth is I've heard many preachers and even my husband say before, if you're not in a crisis right now, you're either about to go in one or you're about to come out of one. <laughs> so that, that's life. That's life. And that, you know, God builds us through all those things. I would not be the person I am today if it hadn't been through all the things I've been through. You know, just like I said, I realize more of a wretch that I am the older I get And the more that I go through, I see how I need Jesus more and more. So there's a list. This is just a a small list. But this list really correlates with a scripture I'm going to read you out of Jeremiah 9. And Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And he's giving this prophecy to the nation that he's just so grieved at because they're turned away from God and they're, you know, they, they trust in things. They're so caught up in materialism. They're so full of sin and ugliness. And he's just weeping. 
And he gives them a word from God. And this is the word that he gives them. Now think of the things I just listed that different things that we can become jealous of. So Jeremiah is saying, this is what God says. It says, not let, let not the wise and skillful person. Notice, I just said we get je- jealous of skills and talents. Let not the wise and skillful person glory and boast about his wisdom and skill. And let not the mighty per- and powerful person glory and boast in his strength and power. That he has power with people or in the community. And let not the person who is rich... In physical gratification or in earthly wealth, treasures, money, things, don't let them boast about these temporal satisfactions, our earthly riches. And I love this verse. But he says, But let him who boasts our glory boast in this, that he knows me personally and practically directly discerning and recognizing my character, that I am the Lord who practices loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. Isn't that great? What he's saying is none of those things mean anything. The only thing that means anything is that you know Jesus and you know how great his loving kindness is for you. That's it. That's it. I love that scripture. So what are some of the causes of our jealousy? We know we all deal with jealousy. We all deal with envy. We all have people we feel like are rivals or we don't measure up to. So some of the causes are, number one, is unmet expectations. And we've all dealt with that. Whether we want to admit it or not, we have expectations, right? We have them of our spouse, of our children, of our friends, of our co-workers, we have, un, we have things where, you know, I expected by the time I was 40 years old, you know, this would have happened in my life. Or I expected my spouse was going to be like this to me. Or I expected my friends unmet expectations. And then we begin to look inward and get jealous that those expectations we're still battling with. And number two is a sense of entitlement. And I know... We hear this word a lot today in our country, how so many people who live here have a sense of entitlement. They think that government owes them. How many of you have heard that, you know, that the government owes them this and needs to pay for that? But we as people also many times have a sense of entitlement. And the way that kind of plays out even as Christians is that we go that something like this, well, I'm a good person. I tithe. You know, I serve in the children's church. I lead a life group or I host a life group or I'm nice to everybody. You know, why are these things happening to me? I'm entitled. I should be having better because I'm doing right. I deserve this. Or how about I don't deserve anything? A sense of entitlement. And that kind of plays into the third one, which is insecurity. Insecurity. And I looked up that word insecurity, and it means the first definition that came up, which I thought is amazing, it says uncertainty about oneself, uncertainty about oneself, or a lack of confidence. And you know where that comes from? Is if your identity is in your skills, is in your riches, all the things we just talked about, in your looks, 
whether you're fat or skinny, whether you have this much bank, in your bank account or not, if your identity is in those things, you will be uncertain. Because the only place we can find our true identity is in Christ. Amen. He's the one that looks at us and can say, you know what, I love you just the way you are. People might have said this about you, but I like that about you. You know what? People might have said this or that, but that's the greatest quality I see in you. He is who gives me my identity. And you know how I get that identity? By just spending time with him. By just sitting in his presence sometimes. You know, the other day I was just being quiet. You know, sometimes we think we have to just Praying is actually saying words, but sometimes it's just being quiet and letting God speak to our spirit. And the other day I was somewhere and I like, I love tea. If anybody knows me, I have a bunch of teacups and I love tea. I do drink coffee too, but I like tea. And lately my new thing has been peppermint tea. And um, so I was had this peppermint tea and I was just letting it seep like you do and I smelling the peppermint and I was just kind of like, God, I just love the smell of peppermint tea. And right when I said that, I felt like God said to me, I love how you love that I created fragrances, how you always notice the little things that I give. And it's like God and I just have this intimate time because I'm the kind of person my husband and I knows that I like to go out in the woods. I love nature. I like to go on walks. And even as a little girl, I would climb trees and I would pick a leaf off and then I would pull the back of the leaf off and see all the little veins and realize the water comes up and it sucks up the stem and then it goes out into the little veins. And, and I would notice all those little things, but it was neat because it made me an awe and wonder of who God was and all he created. And I'm just, I'm a detailed person. I'm, I like to analyze things, but to know that God loves me like that. He loves the way that he made me and he loves who I am. And I find my identity in him. You know, some of you might not like me, but that's okay with me. I didn't used to be like that. I used to be upset if you didn't like me or you said I was like this or I was like that. But now it doesn't upset me because I know not everybody will like me, but God likes me. And not only does he like me, he loves me. And he loves me just the way I am. He likes how I am. He likes how I love numbers. Lindsay and I were laughing because uh, she looked at me because when my husband said, we met each other 30, and I put my five up like that because I always remember numbers. I can remember people's birthdays. I can remember, I can add and subtract good and multiply and divide like really fast. It's just, I don't know, something God's put in me. But God likes me like that. I might drive some people crazy, you know, with the whole numbers thing that I do. But God likes me like that. And he made me like that. And so when you find your identity in him, there's nothing to be jealous of of other people because I'm, you know, I'm walking going, he likes me. <laughs> he made me. And when he was making me, he knew exactly what he was doing and how he wanted me to be and how he wanted me to think. So I love it. <laughs> So I am not uncertain about myself. The older I get, I'm more sure of myself because of who he is in me. So life is not fair. I say this to my kids all the time, right? Life is not fair, but God is just. And in the end, his loving kindness will be just. 
but nothing is fair here on this earth. It's not fair that I might have a husband with cancer and you don't. It's not fair that Lindsay has a sick child and it's not fair that some are rich and some are poor, but none of that matters. Zero. The only thing that matters is that you know him and how much he loves you. That's so simple, but how many of you have really failed to grasp that? Proverbs 14.30 says, A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body, but envy, jealousy, and wrath are like rottenness of the bones. You know what a calm and undisturbed mind is? Just peace. It's just having peace. And peace comes from when you know who he is and you know who you are. Because you see, you can't be happy and jealous at the same time. It won't happen. Was Cain happy? It won't happen. Because was Cain happy? No, he allowed. And this is what happens. When you allow jealousy or envy to continue to stay in your heart, it eventually turns to anger and bitterness and depression like Cain had and eventually turns to hatred, which turns to murder. And that's exactly, you might not murder someone like Cain did, but you might murder him in your mind. And you might murder him in your heart. And you might cut him off and like, I'm never talking to you again. So you can't be happy and envious at the same time. You want to be happy? Eliminate envy. When you eliminate envy from your life, your whole perspective will change. Because the funny thing is, now my boys can look back at those Tupperware cups and how I wanted the blue, the blue cup and laugh. You know, I was mature enough to know that, you know, what does that matter? But the truth is, the milk tastes just as good in the red cup, doesn't it? Sometimes we look at something, we think, it's going to taste better in the blue cup. But you know what? It doesn't. It tastes just as good in the red cup. God has just as good of a cup for you. It might be a different cup. might be a different color. Your life might have a different color or flavor to it, a different road, a different journey, right? But it is just as good for you because it's a journey God knows you need to be on. You don't need the blue cup. You don't need. If God gave you the red cup, just drink it, baby. (laughs) And it's funny, you know. Here's women. They cry. They want a baby. God gives them a baby. Then they cry because the baby's keeping them up all night. (laughs) So really what you want is not what you need. God knows what you need. And if you would just trust him, you would be okay. You would be okay. God knows what you need. So one of my greatest heroes and examples, we talked a lot about examples of rivalry in the Old Testament, but let's go over to the New Testament. And I love the Apostle Paul. I absolutely love the Apostle Paul. In fact, My son Nathan's sitting right here. His middle name is Paul. It's a strong name. So um, he's a great example. And you know what he's one of the greatest examples to me about is contentment, a life of contentment. And the opposite of jealousy is contentment, right? You can't be happy if you're jealous or envious. So Paul had a life of contentment. So I started to look at the life of Paul because I know how he, he talks about contentment a lot of times. And I'm going to go between Philippians and 2 Corinthians. I'll be in those two books. But I was reading in when he was talking to the church of Philippi, and he was actually thanking them. He's like, you know, thank you for praying for me and for financially supporting me and my missionary journeys. And then he says this line that kind of caught my eye that says, not that I was ever in need. And I was like, What? 
If you know about the life of Paul, not that I was ever, ever, ever in need, okay. Think about this. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let me just read a few of the things that Paul faced in his life. Maybe you think you face a lot of things and you're jealous of others that they don't face those things. But listen to what Paul faced. Prison numerous times. And let me just say that prison was for persecution. It wasn't for crimes he committed. Prison numerous times. He doesn't even say. He probably lost track of how many times he went to prison. Whipped too many times to count. Faced death. Five times he received 39 lashes. Okay, and those lashes wasn't with his daddy's belt or someone's little whip. When they had lashes in the Bible, that lash, they would attach pieces of of glass to it and metal so when it would whip you, it would rip your skin. Okay, so five times, 39 lashes was the most... The most lashes that they could give you, because any more than that, they knew you would just die. You would bleed to death or you would just go into shock and die. Okay, so here's my numbers thing. You know I like numbers. That's 195. 195 lashes, okay? Three times he was beaten with rods, stoned, and that doesn't mean stoned on drugs, (laughs) Stoned with big rocks that they would pick up and throw at him to kill him. And he was literally taken for dead. They thought he was dead. So they all left and he got up and walked away. Three times he was shipwrecked. Has anybody been shipwrecked even one time? Okay. Uh, adrift at sea for a day. So he's just floating out. I don't know if he, he, you know, they didn't have life rafts in that day. They didn't have plastic. He was probably hanging onto a piece of wood, treading water. I don't know. But he was adrift at sea. Hungry, thirsty, cold, naked. Danger from his own people. His own people, the Jewish people, worked long and very, very hard. But he says, not that I was ever in need of anything. (laughs) I was like, wow. Then he says, if you go back a few chapters to chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians, we are pressed on every side but troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. And I looked up perplexed. It means completely baffled, puzzled, confused. How many in your life sometimes have just been completely baffled and perplexed? Like, I just don't understand why I'm going through this and what this situation is all about. So we are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down. Now, I've never been hunted down by anyone except my kids. (laughs) I have been hunted down. I know some of you mamas, when you feel hunted down, you just go to the bathroom, lock the door, and pretend you're going to the bathroom for 30 minutes. (laughs) Hunted down, but it wasn't that kind of hunted down by a child. But never abandoned by God. We might have been abandoned by people, but you know what? We've never been abandoned by God. You might say, I'm alone. I feel abandoned. But you know what? That's a lie because God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. So I love that. I mean, all these things that he's went, went through. But then you know what he says in chapter four? He goes, I know the secret. You want to know what the secret is? He says, our great power is from God, not ourselves. And that's the secret. Because how many times do we walk through this life and we walk through trials and we look at other people and think they're not suffering like we are and we're wondering how come I'm barely making it or barely hanging on? 
Have you learned the secret? It's not from yourself. If you do not receive God's power, you cannot do it. And so many times I'm battling and battling, I'm struggling and struggling. It's because I'm struggling to do it in my own strength and I cannot do it. The best thing you can do is throw yourself on the ground. Sometimes I've had times throw myself on the ground or put my arms in the air and just gone, help! (laughs) Because what that is is surrendering and acknowledging that God, I have no power I have no power to live righteous in this situation. I have no power to think right, to speak right, to do it right. I need your power. Because the Bible says the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. You know how much power it took to raise a dead man, take him out of hell? Because Jesus went down to hell for three days for us, took the keys, you know, locked it up. That same power that raised him up dwells in us. Well, we forget about that. So that's 2 Corinthians. He says that's the secret. But then he says it again in to the church of Philippi. And first he says, I've learned to live with almost nothing or with everything. In other words, you know what? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if I'm rich or poor. Doesn't matter if I'm beat or not. Doesn't matter what I'm going through. I've learned the secret. He says that again. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There it is again, the secret. Our power is not from God, and it's only through Christ that we can live the life that God's called us to live. And then you go to the church at Thessalonica, and he says, be thankful in all circumstances, all. Does that mean we thank God for the thing? I don't thank God for cancer in my husband, but I thank him in cancer. I thank him in the journey. I don't thank him when... I'm sure Paul didn't thank God when he was beaten up, but he thanked God in the beating. He praised him in the jail. He worshiped him during those times as he is uh, out adrift at sea. He still worshiped God, and he still in prison led people to Christ. He thanked God in all circumstance. What for what he had, who he was, what you go through, be genuinely thankful. And you know what another secret I'll put in there? Be genuinely happy for other people. And you will receive that power. And that's true maturity. You know why my kids fought over the blue cup? Because they were immature. They were only three and four years old. They were immature. They didn't see that that was meaningless. Maturity allows you to be genuinely happy for other people when they're blessed. And they're not going through the season you're going yourself, through yourself. Because see, changing your circumstance doesn't change your heart. And I found that out time and time again when I think, you know, how many of you, let me ask yourself, if you went on that dream vacation, would it bring you peace? Because you know what? I've gone on the vacation and it didn't change anything in my heart (laughs) because I still took myself and who I was on the vacation with me, right? Or if you had that house, that car, that money, that job, that child, that, those looks, that talent, Would you be happy if you weren't facing that crisis or the crisis you're in right now? Would you still be depressed, frustrated, or screaming at your kids? Probably, because this is who we are in here, because it's a hard issue. So let's go back again to what Jeremiah says. What are we to boast in, or what are we to glory in? That you know him personally, right? 
and that we practice loving kindness. That's the only thing in this life that matters is that you know him. And when you know him, he'll get you through anything. So my question is today, do you know him personally? Really personally. You know, we can have said the prayer and we can call ourselves a Christians and we can come to church. But you, do you take that time to hear his voice saying, like God said to me that day, I like you. I like that you like my peppermint. <laughs> do you take that time to say, I like who you are and I'm going to do amazing things with you? Do you take that time for him to speak to you? Do you know him personally? Do you know how much he loves you? Just the way you are, no matter your situation, how you look, what are your talents, how rich or poor you are, how great or small you think you are, he loves you. He loves you so much. Don't forget that. It's in those times of distress, depression, anger, bitterness, jealousy that we have forgotten how much he loves us. I just want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you've never, never known that kind of love, or maybe you've forgotten, you've forgotten that love. Or if, if you've never entrusted your life the, to the one who laid his life down for you, who gave it all on the cross so that you could live, you can do that right now. If you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you've been away from him for a long time, just raise your hand as a sign to tell God, that's me, God. I want to know you personally, like Miss Tracy's talking about. I want to have that intimacy. I want to know your loving kindness. Just raise your hand right now. Thank you. Or how about maybe you know him, but you've been that person who's battled with that jealousy or that envy, and it hinders your relationship with God, and it hinders your relationship with others or your family. Just raise your hand and up real quick. Thank you, so many of you. I know because I've known that same struggle. I've known that same struggle so many times. But he loves each one of us just the way we are. Thank you. Let's just pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you do love us so very, very much and gave your life for us so that we might know you. God, thank you that you are so delighted in us and that... We can be so delighted in you and who you made us, God. Lord, I thank you for each one that raised their hand, just acknowledging, I want to know you, God. I pray that you would just show up in a real way for them. And those who have acknowledged, yes, I've battled. I've battled with envy and jealousy. God, just give me that peace that passes all understanding and that I would find my strength in you, God. Lord, touch everyone here, God. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word, Jesus. Fill us with that power that we might live to glorify and boast in this one thing that we know you personally. In Jesus' name, amen.